Boogie Monster with Kyle Kinane and Dave Stone. Contact the best authorities. Check on anything that seems to be extraordinary, no matter what it is. When you see something that's frightening, it looms large in the consciousness. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition. The Boogie Monster, podcasting the unknown. Just jumping in. <clears throat> I got no brain. You got no brain? Listen, listen to the sounds, man. Yeah, it's like uh, like they're building Noah's Ark out there. Yeah, yeah. About three in the morning, a curtain rod fell down in here. Yeah. Nasty. Normally, these, these little we get the little decorative mirrors. These things fall mm-hmm. and make a big old noise. And then. Uh, there was a crow, like the big, the big ones. Yeah, like the big, the big the, crow, the big motherfuckers. Are those different types of crows, or are those just big ass crows? I don't know. Because I've seen them where I'm like, is that a vulture? Nope, that's a crow. Yeah, like this, this is like like I want to say the size of a chicken, but that doesn't. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's mm-hmm. a big. Then that was outside the window at six a.m. Just going on. What was his problem? Oh, Rachel even went out there to scare it off. Yeah. Because in my head, I was like, what are you going to do? It's just going to fly away unless you're going to shoot it. Well, I wasn't in the mood to shoot a crow. Then then you'd have to eat crow. <clears throat> oh, God. Sorry. That's not really how that phrase works at all, right? Well, no, I just mean like if you shoot something, then, you know, you'd you wouldn't want to eat, eat it. Yeah. Yeah. I really don't even eat crow. That just means get to eat your words like yeah, you're talking go, shit. Go back on your words. Yeah. yeah. Crows are supposed to be super smart, man. Well, smart enough to give me a real shit night, so I took a couple of weed candies. Yeah? You took some weed candies today? Yeah. I are you took, high right now? I don't know, man. These candies, they, they don't give me the kind of high where I'm like, oh, cool, I'm high. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm just uh, I'm just this. Hmm. Good thing I solved uh, the D.B. Cooper crime. Oh, did you solve that? Yeah, I told, oh, that's you, cool. I told you last week. Uh-huh. The fucking crew did it. Okay. So I don't even know why we're having a part two. Yeah. I told you who did it. Hmm. Unless something's come out in, in the week since. Well. What's going on? With, we don't have to jump into it. What's happening? I'm drinking coffee. Mm-hmm. It's Boogie Monster with Kyle and Dave. Yeah, that's us. And I'm drinking coffee. I'm trying to get there for you. Uh-huh. It's all right, buddy. Yeah, you haven't been sleeping well. You uh, The, 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 the yeah. day before, you, you said something about not sleeping. Yeah, I was just up at 3.30. I was just up. Yesterday. Hmm. Yeah, I don't sleep well either. Did I tell you my sleeping arrangement over there with the lady? It it just changed. No uh, what? When I first moved in, uh, her bed was was kind of small and just old and lumpy. Oh, you guys had like a and uh, full bed or something. Uh, right? Yeah, she. I, I I think she had a full, and uh, she's tall, and I'm I take up a lot of space the other way, and uh, and it was just wasn't a very comfortable bed i used to sleep on the couch every night loved it just i love sleeping by myself man that... and uh but she has since uh when i got back while we were on tour together she went out and got a king size bed and, oh she went king size, yeah baby. and now i don't have any excuses so she's no. making she's making me sleep with her i mean that king size bed though yeah it's, it's pretty cool but she don't worry about nothing <laughs> 
but she didn't get the box spring, so she got the box spring from the old fool. And she, <laughs> uh, I was gonna say she's just doing that bachelor shit where she's just yeah. got the. Oh, she's got at least she's got a box. Yeah, you're just gonna ruin your new mattress. Yeah, and well, she's just gonna put the mattress on the ground like yeah. a cool college dude. So she's, she's got this overlap and then uh, or underlap rather, and uh, so she slid some boxes and books and stuff. No, <laughs> but uh, it's pretty cool. But put, I, put, I kinda, just put it on the ground like a date rate. Yeah, I guess so. But yeah, no more, no more couch for me. You know, they all say, "Oh, I'm sleeping on the couch tonight." I even before this, I was always like, "That's not so bad." The TV's oh, out there, and you're. I always thought for like, and the idea of getting rest. Like yeah, you can Brady bunch that shit. Like, and the and the idea that rest will make you both happier people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My parents haven't slept in the same room for years. I mean, really? That's, not, that's a different situation. <laughs> but yeah, and then she, uh, then she, she gives me shit about. I, I don't want to talk. I'm complaining. She's a great gal. We're doing great. But she, uh, here we go. She, Give me some dirt. She, she baby. complained that I didn't. She complained I didn't sleep in the bed with her. Uh, but then also, uh, you ever get this? Like uh, you don't like to snuggle. And like, okay, no, because I love to. Snuggle. I'll cuddle you. You know, I if love, that's what you I need. I love me a little cuddling, buddy. Here's the thing. When it's time to sleep, though, I can't. I can't snuggle or cuddle or nuzzle or whatever the fuck you want to call it. I can't do that. It's called intimacy, Dave. Well, I can't do. I just can't do it. Mm-hmm. I can't do that and problems try. Problems with intimacy. I can't do that. And try to fall asleep. Like seriously, I'm supposed to. We're supposed to spoon each other and then fall asleep. Like, yeah, that's some TV shit. No, man, it's called love. No, it's called love, Dave. No, well. And I never have been able to do that. It's like when it's time to sleep, get the fuck off me. Don't touch me. Wow. <laughs> All right. Well, I was going to Doctor Drew this episode, yeah. Dave. But is it a no? But maybe, seriously, uh, like. Like, no, I know what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, if uh, we're hanging out, you're not going to sweat all over each other. Yeah, if we're hanging out on the couch, watch the movie. All right, I'll give you a little bit of that action. But like, when it's time to sleep, I'll give you. A little I bit need of that my action. space. I don't, you know, just get away from me. We don't need to be breathing into each other's faces all night and flailing around. Just you stay over there. I'll stay over here. Or preferably, I'll be on the couch. But now I don't have any excuses. Yeah, man, I just. Uh... Right when you just fall asleep, where you fall asleep, mm-hmm. man. My dream is to have that it's, Warden June Cleaver set up. You know, same room is fine, but uh, two two different beds. Maybe even the Waltons. Yeah, the Waltons probably had that. Frank and Estelle Costanza. Some real models, yeah. real relationship goals you're looking for <laughs> in the world here. Oh man, but yeah. So you know, got a new bed, and I'm having to adapt to uh, king size, baby. It's great stuff, man. Not only sleeping indoors, but uh, in an actual bed. No bed, no mattress in the uh, the old van, in the mini. I had the, I had the mattress in the in the in the big white van. You didn't have a mattress in this old one. No man. What were you doing? Just uh, had like five of those egg foam crates. Oh, like and the yoga then mats. I, yeah, and then I slid those into a sleeping bag, and uh, had a little makeshift mat. But yeah, it was, uh, it was too small. Couldn't <laughs> couldn't fashion a mattress in that thing. What is this? <laughs> so sad. Oh no, nah, it was good times. <laughs> didn't have to cuddle with anybody though. Yeah, you didn't have to cuddle with anybody. Uh, Lucky you. Yeah. Boy, poor Dave's got to cuddle. Now I got to snuggle and cuddle and do all that shit. Yeah, man. It's great. <sighs> I love it. What else going on, man? I don't, I don't know. You've been down the last couple of days, buddy. I got the gout's banging. I'm doing everything I can. 
To get rid of this gout. Now I got other weird pains. What know. are you doing to get rid of it? Not eating meat. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's the taking start, my cherry pills. Cherry pills. Drinking apple cider vinegar. Wow. Taking my medicine. Like that's how fucked. I, I don't know what it is about. Like I have a pill that I take every day, mm-hmm. and I get a monthly prescription, mm-hmm. and that's usually has held it off for a year. And that stuff, honestly, a, a bottle of that with my insurance, less than four bucks for a month's worth. Wow. One week's worth of the other pills, <gasps> the Colchicine. Take two a day of those. So I get 14, 14 of those pills. One week Wow, is $80. $80 a week for that one For pill? the other pill, yeah. Jeez. So I have, but those are like the emergency ones. So I've been going through those. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, when you start spending that much money on medicine, which in my situation is not nearly as fucked as some other people's, I'm like, well, work, God damn it. What am I just taking a mm-hmm. $80 worth of pills? I did a show at a place called Petra Mediterranean Restaurant in 1000 Oaks last night, and that was fun. I don't have any other details other than, than I One, did that. 1000 Oaks. <laughs> I know. I can't the, get, it's called Thousand Oaks. Yeah. I, I just kept calling it One Thousand Oaks. <laughs> Why is that so funny? Precisely One Thousand Oaks. So uh, Mediterranean restaurant, huh? That's some uh... thing. Was I didn't eat nothing because we got Mediterranean food the night before here. Uh huh. So I get my hummus and gunoshes. My bad abs, my gunoshes. So Mediterranean food, that would be like uh, like Zanku chicken. Persian, yeah. Persian, Persian Greek type yeah. stuff. Smelled good, anything. Mm-hmm. Had two glasses of wine, told my jokes. Yeah. It's a good time. Had well, fun. That's cool, man. Oh, I got to say, we, we have forgotten some shout outs. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> we should do those. Yeah, we should. I want to say shout out to uh, this dude, Dylan, that mm-hmm. I met on a bike ride. Mm-hmm. And then he was going past us because we were all crippled going up the ride. And then he stopped on the side of the trail, and we're just all hiking. And you're like, oh, hey, how's it going, man? He's like, I'm listening to the Boogie Monster right now. So shout out to Dylan, who was listening to the Boogie Monster while riding up uh, El Prieto the other week. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I was with my little gang. And so shout out to Dylan. You're a much better rider than me, so I'm not going to bother you to go riding because uh, you're good, and I'm not. So you get you get up the hill. You were cruising. He's cruising up the hill. Yeah. We're all huffing and puffing our way up there. This guy just blew by. You got your little gang that you go with? <clears throat> yeah, my gang. Uh-huh. One, one of the gang's moving. Colin's moving. So safe travels, Colin. We'll see you up there in, in <clears throat> not northern California, mid-California. Hmm. Also, shout out to right Old Town Roasting. Here. I think it's our buddy Sean. I think that's who the dude is. Old Town Roasting, uh, somewhere here in California, sent us uh, Several bags of coffee. Have you have you had this stuff yet? I'm drinking it right now. Oh, is that what you're drinking yeah. right now? Cool. Yeah. I'm not a coffee guy, but I gave it to the lady, and she seems to enjoy it. Uh, you're drinking, uh, well, I don't know if that's what you're drinking right now, but Morning Wood. Yeah, Morning Wood, a couple other different uh, ones he sent us, but yeah. it smells great. I love the smell of coffee. Coffee smells nice. Yeah. I like so. I like black coffee in the morning. Yeah. <clears throat> i got to start getting into coffee. Instead, I mean it's getting it's getting me. Yeah, what are you drinking? A diet A and W. Yeah, I'm a I'm a grown man. Drinking a diet, diet A and W. Diet A and W root beer. That's one of the best diet sodas on the market. No caffeine either. So I think that's what my neighbor who had a stroke drank. <laughs> it was him on his riding lawnmower for his one eighth of an acre. I used to know a guy. <laughs> diet A and W. I used to know a guy uh, back in Ball Ground, Georgia. When I lived there, a uh, student hadn't seen. I knew him, hadn't seen him for like a year or two. He'd lost a bunch of weight. 
And I was like, dude, you, you lost a lot of weight. How, how'd you do that? Diet Dew and Fig Newtons. <laughs> he drank Diet Mountain Dew and Fig Newtons, but he's always talking about Diet Dew. That yep. Diet Dew is a miracle drug. If it's not it's some, good some, for you. Some sort of cleanse. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it was not good. Oh, man. Had some blood sows today. Had, had had some barbecue. Yeah, man. Yeah. You're telling me about that. What happened? <laughs> a little disappointed, man. Really? They fall on. Well, here's the thing. I had the brisket was on point. Brisket solid. But uh, I had some smoked chicken. I had some ribs. <laughs> had a little bit of everything. Uh, j- they overseason it now. Just they're they're going a little a uh, little overzealous with the with the spice and the seasoning. It's a little too a little too salty. Just a little too strong. Mm. So you know, and I had the collard greens. They were too salty. Got to be careful. Got to be careful. You that get barbecue. maybe just get a bad batch. Eh, the last time we were there, I started to detect a little bit of a. Uh, a slacking off there. I mean, you couldn't tell by by my performance that night. I mean, oh, it didn't, yeah. didn't slow me down when we got the uh, whatever they call that the the dinner tray. It's like 120 bucks. <laughs> yeah, that doofus <laughs> took us there. Oh yeah, we were being courted. Yeah, but uh, yeah, uh, the brisket was on point. But uh, blood sauce, man, you gotta gotta watch out with that seasoning, man. You overseason a good piece of meat, man, it just ruins it. So, uh, there it is. <laughs> I'm gonna be smelling it. Yeah, yeah. that's the thing about that, but man, that stuff—you belch that stuff out, and oh, it's man. just around. It's like that—it is, is around that Zanku garlic butter, man. That stuff stays with you for like a week. I just went through a tub of that. Oh, you bought a tub of it. Rachel asked for extra, and uh-huh. they gave her like a. Ooh. I'm making a size with my hands here. Uh-huh. That's uh, much more than the little ramekin they give you. Yeah, yeah. Like four or five times the amount. That stuff's like liquid gold. I man. will have licked the inside of that. Oh man! Like a model eating yogurt. I'll just get. I'll get my <laughs> tongue into the into the crevasses. Yeah, the crevasse. Yeah. Right on, buddy. Uh, sorry you're not sleeping. Sorry you're all gouted up. Yeah, man. I just was kind of rooting for it to get better. Mm-hmm. But what are you gonna do? Get to you see know? you hobbling around. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm out. I'm out. I'll get there, man. Mm-hmm. We're gonna make it. Uh, there it is. I'm gonna be all right. Well, should we get into part two of this DB Cooper action? Let's. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So just to recap, we talked about it last week. DB Cooper, Thanksgiving Eve, 1971. Actually, he gave the name Dan Cooper. DB was a misprint in the paper a few days later, and it just stuck. Gave a name, Dan Cooper, paid 20 bucks, one-way trip from Portland to Seattle. And uh, while they were in the air, handed the uh, stewardess or the flight attendant a note, said, hey, I got a bomb, listen to what I say, and uh, yada, 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 $200,000 later, yada. he uh, jumped out of a damn airplane, never to be seen from again. A lot of suspects, a lot of speculation, a lot of speculation that he died, that he didn't even survive the jump. Um, I guess that's a pretty tricky jump. Some some paratroopers and para mm-hmm. parachute and uh, skydiving experts uh, said, ah, oh, man, at that altitude, at that time of night, in that location, a lot of kind of uh, a lot of vegetation, a lot of trees. That uh, maybe he, and there's that river maybe didn't even survive. But uh, since then, what is that, almost 50 years ago? Tons of suspects, and I was thinking about this the other day. Did you say your dad? Does your dad? Uh, does your dad use a cane? 
No, I, okay. I use a cane. You use it. Yeah, I know that. Oh, there's that dog again. Uh, I just, last night when I was studying up on some of these suspects, I thought, hmm, because they, they, they thought that uh, he had some, a uh, lot of knowledge of airplanes, maybe maybe an airplane mechanic. I was like, yeah, wonderful. Uh, you think my dad was D.B. Cooper? <laughs> wonderful Pat Kaday was D.B. Cooper. He, he, meeting your dad just one time, he's got that demeanor of like, I got a secret that you and I'm not going to tell. He's you. got secrets. I I don't think that's one of them, but he's got secrets. You're not wrong about that. So anyway, I want to go through a list of some of these suspects. Uh, and just recently, like uh, I think just in the last few weeks, there's been a another suspect that they have. Uh, well, a lot of this stuff, including the one I'm talking about now, the uh, the most recent one. People trying to sell books. You know, it's like uh, yeah. So they got a. This case has been. Um, so many like uh, amateur detectives and sleuths and investigative reporters, you know, throughout the years have uh, tried to crack this case, thinking that uh, they could do what the FBI couldn't. So every few years, you get a new uh, new suspect. Not necessarily the suspect themselves coming forward, but uh, mm. maybe a relative or a friend, like oh, so and so. And then uh, most of the time, uh, at least several of these cases. Uh, people are coming forward with these new suspects because they got a book that they wrote and they're trying to get some attention yeah. for them. So I just go through a few of these, a uh, handful of them. Uh, one guy, this guy named Ted Mayfield, on the day of the skyjacking, that's a funny word, skyjacking, uh, six, six different people called the FBI on the day of the skyjacking to suggest that this Ted Mayfield might be a suspect. So that's that's kind of crazy. You got six different people like, yeah, this dude did it. Uh, Mayfield. What, yeah, what's Ted's deal? He was a skydiving instructor. Uh, he had a criminal record, including armed robbery and stealing an airplane. So I guess, you know, All right. people okay. are connecting some dots. He's a skydiving instructor. He's got a criminal record. He tried to steal a damn airplane. So, yeah, maybe point the finger at old Ted. Four hours after Cooper jumped out of the plane, Mayfield himself called the FBI to let him know that he, in fact, did not do it. And then he offered up his own list of local skydivers who may have committed the crime. So mm -hmm. he's automatically coming forward saying, I didn't do it, and then trying to snitch on all his local skydiving buddies. Uh, FBI crossed him off the list of suspects as they believed Cooper, uh, whoever Cooper was, the guy that actually did it, was not an experienced skydiver. And I mentioned this last week, since he chose a defective parachute uh he requested four i guess two mains and two backups uh they intentionally gave the fbi gave him one that was sewn shut he picked that one as his backup so they think that uh this guy's obviously not an experienced skydiver or else he wouldn't have his, he wouldn't have picked the defective parachute from the batch of four that they gave mm -hmm. him ted mayfield would have known the difference because he was uh very experienced however fbi later learned that uh, in 1994, you know, 23 years after the fact, uh, old Mayfield, who's supposed to be a skydiving instructor, an expert, he was arrested. I don't know exactly what the charge is, something in the area of, like, negligence, when two of his students died from jumps because Mayfield gave them both faulty parachutes. So maybe maybe he didn't know. Maybe he didn't, you know, so that... Yeah. <clears throat> the fact that originally they were like, well, it can't be Mayfield because he's an expert, and D.B. Cooper picked a, d a faulty parachute, but then come to but find all out. All of a sudden, he, maybe not so much. Yeah. Years later, Mayfield's arrested when he gave two, two of his students died during jumps. That's That's got to hurt your business. So. Fuck yeah. It's old Ted Mayfield. All right. Okay. 
So that's one of the guys. Yeah, I got several more here. Uh, let me tell you about Richard Floyd McCoy Jr. <laughs> Old Dick Floyd McCoy. <laughs> Get this. In the 12 months following the D.B. Cooper skyjacking, 15 copycats attempted similar heist. 15 copycats here. One of these copycats was Richard Floyd McCoy Jr., who uh, he jacked a commercial airliner with a fake gun and a paperweight that resembled a hand grenade. And like Cooper, McCoy parachuted from the rear hatch of the plane, but unlike Cooper, he left several fingerprints behind. McCoy was arrested, sent to prison. Three months later, three months after he went to prison, he, uh, he broke out of prison with a fake handgun made out of dried toothpaste. Somehow he fashioned a fake handgun. First of all, how do you break out I a prison? The, I love the craft, the yeah. mind, the craft mindset that goes through a, a, someone oh. trying to break out a oh, prison. Oh, yeah, definitely. You hear all those stories of all these crazy homemade shanks and stuff. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, made a fake handgun out of dried toothpaste. Authorities tracked him to Virginia where he got in a shootout with FBI agents and was shot and killed. And the FBI agent that shot and killed him made some sort of statement that uh, when I killed McCoy Jr. that day, I also killed D.B. Cooper because that guy was convinced that, uh, that, that... Oh, he thought it was it. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he's just, well, yeah, the, making his arrest and not murder, but whatever you want to call it, uh, more extravagant by saying, yeah, the, the, the guy I killed was also D.B. Cooper. So, yeah. Okay, okay. So this guy's kind of a violent dude, old Richard McCoy. Um, how do you break out of how do you break out of prison with just a fake handgun? I've oh I mean I guess if you just got that's all you got is time in there to think. Yeah. Anytime somebody breaks out of prison and it was like sneaky, not just mm-hmm. some violent murder a guy and run type mm-hmm. thing. That's a little part of me that's impressed. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. you know, not absolving anything else, but I'm like, oh wow. I don't know if I could do it. Uh speaking of which I saw on one of these clickbait things the other day uh, about the movie Shawshank Redemption, and somebody just made the point, you know, he broke out because he spent nine years or whatever Mm -hmm. tunneling that hole, and he would cover it up with those posters. But then the day he vanished, they're searching his cell. The poster is up like normal, and they rip it off and see the hole. If he, they were, the point was, if he had crawled through that hole, how was he able to then fasten the poster behind him? If you already figured out how to get out of a maximum security prison, I think you'll <laughs> I think you'll get that one. I think you'll sort that one. Yeah, good point. You put, put little weights on the bottom of the poster, so mm-hmm. it might not be attached to the wall, but it hangs flat. That's a good point. Shit, I'll break out of prison. Yeah, I've always thought about that. <clears throat> like, I mean... Literally, Shit, girl, I'll break out a prison. What else is there to do other than to spend every day thinking about how you're going to break out? Mm-hmm. Wonder, what the, wonder what the most common attempt to breaking out of prison is. Probably something to do with deliveries. You know, there's always sneaking out in the laundry, yeah, stuff going in and out. Guys always finding, you know, the way into the the. The plumbing system or mm-hmm. sewer systems always – at least that's why I see it depicted in movies and everything. Mm-hmm. We should do prison breaks. Yeah. We could do one of those. I always like the concept of like disguise, like uh, pretending you yourself are a prison guard. Yeah. You know, you've got on the, the uniform or whatever and just kind of <clears throat> kind of slide on out. 
Yeah, what was that? There was that show Prison Break that was on. You ever watched that? No, I did not. I, I know what you're talking about, but I never saw that. I watched the first few, and once it got away from the idea that the map of the prison was tattooed on the guy's body. Hmm. I was like, that's pretty cool, and then it kind of got old pretty yeah. quick. Oh, well. Dope, nonetheless. All right, here's another one. Uh, this one here, this fella, a lot of people thought that there might be some validity this to this dude. This fella. Got him, Kenneth Christensen. This S-O-B. Kenneth Christensen, twenty uh, in two thousand three. Kenneth, a guy named Lyle Christensen. Kenneth and Lyle. Kenneth and Lyle. Your kids are Kenneth They're brothers. And Lyle. Two thousand three. Lyle Christensen watching a documentary about DB Cooper when he connected the dots and he had an epiphany that Cooper was in fact his own brother Kenneth. Kenneth Christensen was a paratrooper in World War II, right. later became a flight attendant for Northwest Orient Airlines, the same airline that Cooper skyjacked. Kenneth had always struggled with financial issues until 1972, just months after the skyjacking, when he suddenly purchased a home with cash. Really? While dying of cancer in 1994, Kenneth told his brother Lyle, while on his deathbed, quote, there's something you need to know, but I cannot tell you. Well, thanks for bringing it up then. Yeah, what? Um, After Kenneth's death, Lyle discovered that Kenneth had over $200,000 in a bank account. Lyle also discovered a folder with dozens of newspaper clippings about the Northwest Orient Airlines. Oh, I guess since he worked for Northwest Orient, he would uh, just any random story. He would uh, uh-huh. that appear in the paper. He would cut them out and keep them as little collectibles or whatever. But none. He had dozens of these newspaper clippings, but none past the time of the DB Cooper case. It, uh, for years leading up to seventy one, he had all these these clippings, but none past seventy one. Just about the airline he worked for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> Lyle found it odd that Kenneth would collect random clippings of Northwest Orient Airline stories. But not the one involving DB Cooper, since that was obviously the most famous story that the airline. Why would you collect articles about whatever boring shit your airline? I mean, yeah, maybe you know that's just pride in your work. Oh, look, my company's in the paper again. When Florence Schaffner, the flight attendant I was speaking about last week, I forgot her name last week, but uh, the one who initially had all the contact with Florence Schaffner. Florence Schaffner. She's the one that dealt with Cooper the most. Uh, he's the one that gave her – he gave her the note and all that. Uh, she was shown a bunch of pictures of Christensen after the fact, and she said, quote, I think you might be onto something here when referring to Kenneth Christensen. So, I mean, that's – you know, guys working for the airline. He's a flight attendant, always broke, never has any money. And a month month after the D.B. Cooper case, he somehow – Buys a home with cash. Yeah, all right. Uh, I mean, circumstantial, but still. And then, you know, he's collecting all these newspaper stories of Northwest Orient Airlines, but just stops. You would think it'd be the opposite. Like, you think he, someone would have a bunch of those. Like, why would, why would he you stop? have a box? Of, I, like, oh, I, this is too uncomfortable. I don't, I don't even collect things that I've done. Yeah. Well, people, especially back then, that's not uncommon for people to, you know, collect. When my dad was a kid, he would collect. He was a big New York Yankees fan, and he had all these newspaper clippings of Mickey Man on the Yankees and stuff. I think back then, the newspaper was your internet, you know? Yeah, but you were a big, that much of a fan of your 
where you work. Yeah, maybe you didn't have a whole lot going on. Maybe that led to it, but. All right, all right. So that, okay, make, okay, yeah, all right. Got a few more here. Let me tell you about uh, Robert Rackstraw. Rack. R A C K. Get like a just a, 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 a Jeff Jameson in there. Just someone with a regular <laughs> name. Robert Rackstraw. <clears throat> he served in the U.S. Army. He had parachute training. He served on several helicopter crews during the Vietnam War until he was kicked out of the army in 1971 for lying about his education. Once out of the military, Rackstraw was unemployed. He was broke. Got kicked out of Vietnam for lying. Yeah, that's what I said. Or, you know, maybe lied about, you know, some of those, uh, his forms and applications. Maybe he fudged his education history or whatever. But something happened, and they kicked him out. But, yeah, it is odd that you would kick somebody out like that during a war. Yeah, that's like we need them all right now. You're drafting people, but you're going to kick this guy out on the technicality. There might have been more to that story. Yeah. But uh, now he's out of the military. He's broke. He's unemployed. He's living with his stepdad. Rackstraw had floated about $75,000 worth of bad checks in the year following his discharge from the Army. Yeah. Just floating checks all over town. Eventually, a warrant for check fraud was issued for his arrest right about the same time that the D.B. Cooper case happened. So around Thanksgiving 71, a, uh, a arrest warrant was issued. Police arrived at his home to serve the warrant. Get this. He was not there. What they did find, or who they did find, was his stepdad dead inside the home with a gunshot wound to the head. All right, okay. So he's living with stepdad. He's floating bad checks. The warrant gets issued. They go try to serve that warrant, and they find dead stepdad. Rackstraw was nowhere to be found. Later discovered that he had fled to Iran. Is it Iran or Iran? I never know how to say that. Iran. Iran. Oh, it's not even I. Iran. I just told I don't, yeah. I'm not saying I'm right. No. 1978. So they have extradition laws there? Yes. In 1978, he was arrested in Iran, deported back to America. So this is about uh, seven years later, to face charges of check fraud and murder. While he's out on bail, several months later, he's released on bail. Look at this. Rackstraw attempted to fake his own death by radioing in a false Mayday alert and telling controllers that he was bailing out of a rented plane over Monterey Bay. So he's like, hey, mayday, mayday, this plane's going down, I'm parachuting out, see you later. Police later arrested him in Fullerton, just down the road, on additional charges. From Monterey Bay? Well, down the road from us here. Oh yeah, where is Monterey Bay at? That's uh, I'm assuming Monterey, just yeah, Monterey, Monterey California, San Francisco, yeah, or, south, yeah, just south of uh, San Francisco. <clears throat> uh, police arrested him in Fullerton on additional charges of forging federal pilot certificates, and then they found the plane he claimed that uh, crashed. They found it uh, repainted in a nearby hangar. Cooper investigators noted his physical resemblance to Cooper. The composite sketches, very similar. Uh, his military parachute training and criminal record. But they eliminated him as a suspect in 1979 after no direct evidence of his involvement could be found. So, yeah. Oh, and uh, this is the same dude, if this is who I'm thinking of. Let me, make, let me check my notes here. Um, this is the same dude. Yeah, Rackstraw is the same dude that the History Channel just uh, last year did a uh, – documentary on this guy uh 
God, what was his name? Some author and journalist wrote a book. I can't remember the guy's name, but he wrote a book and somehow was just convinced that Rackstraw's the dude. He even uh, there's video of him. Robert Rackstraw. Yeah, there, there's video of them uh, of this author and this producer uh, confronting him down in San Diego, and the guy's real coy. Like he didn't. You would think if if you're innocent, or even if you're not innocent, but if you're just accused of something that you would be pretty vocal about, like, fuck you, that wasn't me, what are you talking about? Well, they approach this guy, and he's just kind of like, almost didn't say this, but just kind of had a demeanor of like, no, 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 I don't want to talk about this, leave me alone. Like, didn't really... Maybe he's just tired, yeah, tired of talking. I guess so. But then there was some story about the, that author and those producers of the History Channel documentary that they tried to pay him off for something they're like hey we'll give you a million dollars if you just just even if it's not you just say it's you so yeah, isn't, isn't it beyond the statute of limitations to be punished for it that's a good question i do not know you would think i mean yeah something like that i mean almost any crime has a statute right except like rape and murder maybe kidnapping yeah you'd think something like this would have a statute so yeah rackstraw he's alive and kicking down in san diego and uh, they did one of those kind of uh Kind of those, uh, what's that show where the, the news guy is always trying to bust the pedophiles? Uh, what's that show? Uh, catch a Predator. Yeah. Right? They kind of did a To Catch a Predator type vibe where they just, you know, approached him in a parking lot and with a, with yeah. a microphone and a camera. And he's just like, what the hell? So, wreck straw. <coughs> a few more here. So, all right. All right. So, I'll give some of these. I still. I still don't know why the crew couldn't have done it. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a, not a bad theory. Uh, let me throw this note out here, by the way. Uh, one of the pieces of evidence that they left, that D.B. Cooper left behind, was that uh, clip on tie I was talking about. Mm-hmm. They somehow did some analysis of that and found, uh, I don't know if it was actual DNA, but they found some sort of, I'm going to call it for lack of a better term, DNA on on this tie. And uh, there was some some chemicals or something on this tie that is related to the airline industry, like uh, some sort of gas or chemical or something that would be found in an airplane engine. All right. So someone working on uh, you know an airplane engine or something would is a pretty unique specimen that they found on this tie and. Um, I guess there was also some sort of DNA sample on that. Many of these suspects that I'm talking about, uh, their DNA was tested and tried to be yeah. matched to this tie. None of them came up positive. Where as did far they find a tie? Where's the tie? The tie was left on the plane. He had that clip-on tie, and I guess he took it off or it ripped off or something. But uh, but in all the, the crew uh, left the god the, the, the crew did it. They left the clip. Oh look, there's a tie. Yeah. I don't know, man. I do. The crew did it. Who's the next person who didn't do it? But you think that? It- <laughs> All right, here I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you three get, more. Can sell it to me, man. Right, I'm going to try to sell this one to you. All right, I don't have all the details on this. Barbara Dayton was uh, born a man, later transitioned to a female. Was pissed that uh, she couldn't get a job. Wanted to be a pilot her whole life. Was mm. pissed that the regulations and the the criteria were too steep. I think she had some vision problems. And uh, there's one theory that Barbara Dayton, as a woman, um, dressed up like a man, 
did this, parachuted out, and then as soon as she landed, put on her wig and her dress and went about her merry way as a woman. <clears throat> but that's that's about the extent of, the, of her story. All right, Lynn Doyle Cooper. This is a good one. I like this one here. Lynn Doyle Cooper. All right. L.D. Cooper. He was a leather worker and a Hot. Korean War veteran. Hot stuff. He was... Uh, he proposed. He was proposed as a suspect in July of 2011. So years and years later, 2011, his niece Marla Cooper was also watching a story about this and mm-hmm. thought, "Oh crap, that's probably my uncle." As an eight-year-old, Darla recalled that Cooper and her other uncle Dewey, who Dewey, by the way, worked for Boeing up in up in Seattle. So as an eight-year-old, she recalled that uh, L.D. and Dewey, both her uncles, they were planning something, quote, very mischievous involving the use of expensive walkie-talkies at her grandmother's house in Sisters, Oregon, about Mm -hmm. 150 miles south of Portland. The next day, Flight 305 was hijacked. That's the flight that we're all talking about here. And uh, though the uncles claimed they were turkey hunting, L.D. Cooper came home that day with a bloody shirt. The result, he said, of an auto accident. Marla stated that she overheard Lynn and Dewey say something to the effect of, quote, we did it, our money troubles are over. <laughs> Later, she said her parents... <laughs> that's, that's what people say when they pull up a heist. Is a, they don't say, we sure did rob all that money. Well, no, she overheard them. She uh, she said that they thought they were alone, and she was kind of spying on them. And uh, that, that the two uncles were like, hey, we did it. Uh, you know how we rob? We stole that money. <laughs> our money troubles are over because we stole that money. Us, <laughs> we stole money, and now we won't have to worry about money because we stole it. Later, she said her parents came to believe that L.D. Cooper was in fact the hijacker. She also recalled that her uncle, L.D., who died in '99, get this, was obsessed with the Canadian comic book hero Dan Cooper. There was this Canadian comic book. A whole series of them. Dan Cooper, uh, who on many of the covers he was uh, he was skydiving, mm-hmm. and uh, that that uh, LD was very obsessed with this Dan Cooper comic book, and he had one of those comic books thumbtacked to his wall. Although he himself was not a skydiver or a paratrooper. Well, wonder why it took her so long to to connect those dots. She says all this happened when she was eight. But she just came out years later in 2011. I mean, she never heard it's of the such DB a case. harmless story to want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the thing too. Like, if any of you these, know, nobody that I'm got nobody about, got hurt. Nobody. Yeah. Okay. So you think that's so people want people are always looking for notoriety. You think this is just a harmless like. Hey, I did that as opposed to like, hey, I'm the it's, Golden it, State Killer. It's everything else saying, oh, I saw Bigfoot. You uh-huh. know, you know, it's got some lore about it later on. Uh huh. And like you said, probably statute of limitations, and and probably like, you know, you're not going to old. You heard about a story, you got fascinated with it, maybe. You- not like a rape or a murder where if you confess, you're you know going to get shunned or ostracized. Where that's this is like, oh, cool. That, that's what I'm saying. Nobody got hurt. Yeah. A lot of people coming forward saying they did it. Yeah, I think it's just. You'd be a couple more here. All right. Dwayne Weber. That's a normal name. Dwayne L. Weber. He was a World War II Army veteran. He served time in at least six prisons 
from 1945 to 1968 for burglary and forgery. He, uh, he was proposed as a suspect by his widow, based primarily on his deathbed confession. Three days before he died back in 1995, Weber told his wife, quote, I am Dan Cooper. That's the other thing. Like, if you're going to pull a little gag, why are you doing that shit on your deathbed? He told her on his deathbed, quote, I'm Dan Cooper. The name meant nothing to her at the time. Months later, a friend told her of its significance involving the hijacking. She went to her local library to research D.B. Cooper. She found a book about the subject and discovered that in the notation, that there were notations in the margins of this book that were her own husband's handwriting. So, well, Dwayne, I guess, had already checked this book out, made some notations in the margins, turned it back in. She's like, oh, shit, that's, that's my dead husband's handwriting. She then recalled, in retrospect, that Weber once had a nightmare during which he talked in his sleep about jumping from a plane, leaving his fingerprints everywhere. No. No? You confess the crime in your sleep during a nightmare. This is like bad movie. This is what bad movies do. (laughs) He also reportedly told her that an old knee injury had been uh, incurred by jumping out of a plane. Why would you tell anybody? Like the hijacker, Weber drank bourbon and chain-smoked. Other circumstantial evidence included a 1979 trip to Seattle and the Columbia River, during which Weber took a walk along the riverbank of the Tina Bar area. From four months later, Brian Ingram made his ransom cash discovery in the same area. I don't know if those notes are correct because I feel like last week I was talking about that money was discovered just north of Portland, not Seattle. Well. Again, it's like somebody that wishes somebody would put it together. Mm-hmm. That's like your parents like l- letting on that they're Santa Claus if you're too old to believe in Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. Maybe it is me. You don't know. <laughs> but why would you do but that why? shit on your deathbed? That just seems... Because you're dying. Why not? But why are you trying to trick your loved ones? Why, why lie? I get like because you're being crazy. being younger and drunk at a bar and you got n- nothing going on and you just feel like ah oh, this is something that'll make me sound like my my life was worthwhile but like on your deathbed by the way here's a lie they, deathbed could just be any time after being eighty years old but even then like. You, why? I get being young and drunk and stupid, but like, if you're 80 years old, what are you doing making up stupid lies about this? I don't know, man. <laughs> All right, one more for you. I'm this fine. One's, Give me one more. This one's a little more detailed. All right, this is the one that just came out a few weeks ago. All right, this guy named, uh, I don't know if it's Rika or Rekka, Walter Rekka, R-E-C-A. He was a Michigan native, military veteran. He was an original member of the Michigan Parachute Team. That sounds like a fun time. He was listed as suspect by his friend, Carl Lauren, a former airline pilot and expert parachuter himself. Rekka confessed to being D.B. Cooper. He confessed to Lauren via phone conversation a few years before he died. Lauren had suspected all along... Mm-hmm. That his friend Walter Recca might be the hijacker. Uh, in 1998, he began a 20-year investigation to uncover the truth. 
about this infamous evening. All right. Every one of these woodland jamokes was just so happy they didn't have to pretend to see Bigfoot. They're like, no, I'm D.B. Cooper. <laughs> Rekka gave Lauren permission in a notarized letter to share his story after he passed away. He also allowed Lauren to tape their phone conversations about the crime over a six-week period in 2008. And uh, I, I listened to some of those. And, uh, yes, just the audio, the audio recording of them having a conversation. And, and he knew he was being taped. It's not like he was, you know, tricking him into anything. Yeah, gave him the heads up. Mm -hmm. And just gave a very confident and detailed recollection of what happened, um, including uh, details about the hijacking that, that the public had no knowledge of. They didn't go into to specifics, but they just said that there were details in these audio recordings that the general public didn't have knowledge of. Um, notably, Rekka described a man he had run into within an hour of his jump. Lauren, an experienced pilot, used his years of training to determine the location of the jump. He was positive that Rekka, a.k.a. D.B. Cooper, landed near uh, Cleelum, Washington which is way off the course, uh, very far away from where they thought the original drop zone was. Mm -hmm. So he, he thinks he landed in Cleelum, Washington. We drove right through there last week, by the way. Um, so here's a story about this guy he encountered. All right. Uh, let's see. Where did it go? Oh, yeah. Lauren began to search for the witness after Rekka described the landscape he saw while on the way to the drop zone. Talking about two bridges, some distinct lights, description of the exterior and interior of a, of a cafe. He also described his encounter with a witness in detail, recalling that he was wearing Western gear, including a cowboy hat and a guitar case. Lauren dubbed him the cowboy. All right, so Lauren consulted a map to find these particular landmarks and began making phone calls about the cowboy who had driven a dump truck. Remarkably, Lauren was put in contact with this guy named, um, what's his name, Jeff Osadich. Spelled differently, but I think it's pronounced Jeff Osadich, Native American dude, uh, resident of uh, Clee Ellum, Washington. He recalled meeting Rekka that night, described as wearing what had looked like, uh, described him wearing the same clothes that, uh, that the composite sketch, talking about he had white shirt, no, no tie, because that tie's still in the plane, but he had a white shirt, black mm -hmm. coat, black slacks, black shoes. According to witness testimony, Osadich said he was driving his dump truck along Highway 970 the night of November 24th, 71, when he saw a man walking down the side of the road in uh, stormy weather. It's raining. This guy's just walking in the middle of nowhere. He assumed the man's car had broken down. He's walking to get assistance. Uh, he didn't stop and, and offer help because Osadich was driving a dump truck that didn't have a passenger seat. And he also said that his boss didn't want him picking up hitchhikers. So he continues on. He goes to this uh, cafe, uh, the Tiana, Tiana Way Junction Cafe, just outside of Cleelum. After ordering some coffee, the man from the side of the road entered. All right, this guy, the guy he saw walking in the middle of nowhere, he enters. He entered the uh, cafe looking like what uh, Osadich said, quote, a drowned rat. The man sat next to him, asked if he'd uh, be able to give his friend directions if he made a phone call. Say, yes, Osadich, hey, if I make his phone call to my buddy, can you tell my buddy how to come here and pick me up? So the guy didn't know where he was at. Mm -hmm. So he found that that was odd. Osadich agreed to do so. He spoke to Rekka's friend, gave him directions to the cafe. Shortly after that, Osadich left for, uh, he, he was playing a country music gig over at the Grange Hall. It's kind of like a version of like a VFW. Uh, Rekka ordered, offered to pay for his coffee. Two men parted. Amicably and uh, never to be seen again. But uh, he gave <clears throat> a description 
the, the description that he gave Lauren is the exact same description that that fit the DB Cooper, the outfit and everything. So, yeah, but it's not like he was dressed like fucking Little Richard. It was a black suit and a white shirt. Yeah, he's in the middle of nowhere. Doesn't know where he's at. Shut the fuck up, Alexa. See? Why does that have to happen in the middle of the day? And I forget that it's even there? So crazy. I'll throw that goddamn can out the Why window. Why do you even have those? It's Rachel's. She's got both? One of those is yours. No, I don't have any of that shit. You got two? She's got two of them? Why she no, got two of one of them. them. I thought That's you had one of each. I thought you had the... No. Oh. I, I don't know why. We I haven't thought. used it. I didn't even know it was alive still. You're talking about deathbed. That, that, that thing. You're on your deathbed, Alexa. <laughs> so this all came out a few weeks ago. Uh, and again... Uh, because this uh, Lauren dude, Carl Lauren, wrote a book. I think it's called uh, mm-hmm. D.B. Cooper, My Friend, or something like that. And they had this big press conference, and the uh, the publishers making all these claims and stuff. There's, I don't know, I watched this whole 30-minute interview, and there really, other than what I just said, there wasn't a lot of evidence. you know. But like somehow they wrote a book, and just because... And this guy, uh, Osadich, is still alive. And, uh, you know, he, he told Lauren about this mystery encounter with this dude at the cafe. But also, uh, other, other researchers think that this story's total bullshit uh, simply because of where he was supposed to have landed. It's way off. Cleelum is nowhere near where they thought he would have landed because, because the plane itself didn't even go in that, that mm-hmm. path. Because Cleelum is. Uh, Good ways to the to the east of Seattle. So if you're going yeah. from Seattle to Portland uh, via airplane, you wouldn't you know really go. Cooper got food for the crew. Really? When he landed, that's in nice. addition to the two hundred thousand dollars mm-hmm. in his parachutes, also food for these guys. He paid for his drinks. I thought that was impressive. Going to steal two hundred thousand dollars because he's not fucking real, Dave. Yeah. Oh. oh, by the way, DB says uh, we can get uh, steaks and lobsters. Oh, that's what you're implying. Yes, that's of course that's what I'm implying. Oh, I thought you were implying crew. that DB was just a, a gentleman. No, the crew stole this shit. <laughs> so tell me again how the crew would have I've, I've given you all this shit. You, let me hear you're your account. What time of this flight was it? Uh, uh, well, it took off from Portland around 2 o'clock in the afternoon. The afternoon flight, short flight. Nobody's mm-hmm. paying attention to anything. Nobody else has any eyewitness recollection of this guy on the plane. They haven't interviewed. You've got no other interviews about other people on the plane? It's only the crew. The uh-huh. only people who interacted with him. Yeah. And he only had notes. Mm-hmm. Do they have the notes? No, he, he, he got them back. Oh, he got them back. Okay, uh-huh. yeah. He kept the notes. <laughs> The only thing about this guy was like a clip-on tie is the only proof that maybe he was there. A clip-on fucking tie, uh-huh. the kind that you could just have. Uh-huh. Oh, and by okay, so we landed. Here's two other. No, nobody in the plane recognized a different person. They didn't count how many people got off versus how many people got on. He bought his ticket in cash, so there's no paper trail. Uh-huh. <laughs> so you don't even know that he bought. Do they know what they know what CD was in? Yeah, yeah, they knew what CD was in. So the, but this was before manifests mm-hmm. or seating documents. And apparently, so there no- was a ticket. Like the crew did it. Where'd this ticket come from? Anybody walking up the counter and buying it in cash? If you didn't have to show an ID. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You just get somebody you know, else to go buy it. ID proof you bought anything. You gotcha. just paid for it in cash and didn't have to show an ID. Okay. So there's a ticket purchased. Cool. That means, oh, yep. That means somebody would have been in the seat. And that, mean, no, that means nobody else could have been like, oh, I was sitting in that seat. So it's mm-hmm. not true. But you don't know who's in the, And 
You're not, especially not going to notice somebody who's not there. It's just an empty seat on an airplane. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, they land in Seattle where they're supposed to land anyway. Yeah. That I never understood. They were going to Seattle, but then they acted as if they were making some sort of emergency landing mm-hmm. in Seattle. And then they had to tell the passengers a lie. Some Oh, we're having mechanical trouble. I, I never understood that. I don't all, think. All this yeah, research. I think. I, I don't even think. I think they're just trying to put salt on a turd for that part. Uh huh. Because that was, oh, you landed where you're supposed to land. Everybody else got off. But now I have this crew hostage that also wants snacks. Uh huh. And I want two hundred thousand dollars and four parachutes. Well, would that mm-hmm. happen today if the concept of hey, I got a bomb. And whether he said this or not, you could imply that I'm I'm willing to go kamikaze on y'all's ass. I got a bomb. I'm willing to blow myself and everybody else up. But like, granted, I'm just all I have is the stuff I've read. But it's like, oh, okay, we'll we'll get your two hundred thousand, no problem. But like, I guess you would like. I wonder how they deal with stuff like that nowadays. Where are the details of who got the cash on the plane? The 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 commissioner of the of the SeaTac Airport was the one yeah. who called a bunch of banks and gathered the money, and then. But uh, then what? They put it down in a bag, and the flight attendant got off the plane, so nobody ever saw DB Cooper pick up the money. Nobody yeah, I ever don't, saw a guy with a bomb. I don't know how physically the money got on the plane. Zero confirm, still zero confirmation. Mm-hmm. I don't know what two hundred thousand dollar looks like. They're saying here that uh, it was ten thousand twenty dollar bills. Ten thousand. It's a lot of bills. Yeah. One of those, you know, usually like when you see a stack, usually uh, they come in stacks of 100. Mm -hmm. So like a a stack of 100 hundreds, that'd be 10,000, right? Um, So I guess his stacks. 120 is $2,000. So he had 1,000 of those stacks. No. No, 100 of those stacks. I'm sorry. A hundred stacks. What is what is uh, physically like? You couldn't jam it all in the, in the bottom of the seats. You couldn't hide. Let me. How much? Uh, 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 how many? What, what was the stack of what? It was. Let me just see what a stack of uh, one hundred bills looks like. It doesn't matter which bill you use. What? Yeah. Stack of one hundred dollar bills. That'd be what about two or three inches thick, stacked high. Yeah, that looks like it. That's it. So, so we had ten thousand twenty dollar bills, and if they're in stacks of a hundred, mm-hmm. then that means he'd Just have a hundred bills. Yeah, yeah, a hundred stacks. Mm-hmm. So, which really isn't that much, like. This little table we're on, we could probably put a hundred stacks without even doubling up. No, hundred thousand divided by twenty. I don't know. I can't math. I got like two hundred thousand divided by twenty. Two hundred thousand divided by twenty. Mm-hmm. So that's ten thousand. Mm-hmm. Ten thousand bills. I can't. This. This. See. This is why I. I did bad at math. I can't. Like I literally. My brain is just mm-hmm. like an engine that won't start when it comes to looking at numbers. Well, that'd be 100 stacks. Is it? Okay, yeah. I'm going to trust you. Mm-hmm. If you've got 100 bills in each stack. 100 bills in 100 in each stack. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So you could, I mean, 
could fit that. That's us in an attache case. You can yeah. fit that in a briefcase. Yeah, if it's going to be in an attache case, Although, you can't hide that in and out an airplane, in and around an airplane. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm not saying it was in an attache case. The bomb was in the attache case. Uh, <laughs> but if you had another attache case, yeah, so you could uh, you could totally pull that off. So he, he strapped it to his leg, allegedly. Mm-hmm. Fucking crew stole this shit. Really? That's that. Yes, absolutely. Hmm. They did everything right. They threw a little bit out. They threw some shoots out. Mm-hmm. You know, they threw the parachutes out. They threw a few bucks out. Perfect crime. You think they threw that? Well, I think it was fifty-eight hundred bucks they found. Yeah. On the bank of the river. Yeah. Why would they throw that money? Why would they throw that out? Take them off the scent. Mm-hmm. Throw a couple of the shoots out and throw the. If they're just throwing the shoots out without opening them, they wouldn't have in- investigated them. What if it was one of those ghost pilots from the flight of 401? That's They're on the flight of 401. This is the flight of D.B. Cooper. It's not the same. Why is a ghost going to steal money, Dave? That's true. That's a good point. Hey, I'm just spitballing here, buddy. You just keep spitballing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I don't think the crew did it, man. I think. Listen, there's a lot of interesting people, but again, it's a harmless thing. Everybody could jump out of the woodwork and be a part of it. Mm -hmm. Who's not jumping out of the woodwork? The people who actually stole the shit, and Mm -hmm. it was the crew of the plane. Hmm. I think of all the The ones. One lady became a nun. Uh huh. Yeah. I think it's Kenneth Christensen. This dude worked for the airline. He's always broke. A month after D.B. Cooper thing, he buys a house in cash. And the main eyewitness, the flight attendant, Florence Schaffner, Schaffner, Mm -hmm. she says, uh, out of all the pictures that she saw, that Christensen resembled him the most. Quote, I think you might be onto something here. Of course. She would love to pin it on Uh, somebody else. Yeah, because you think Schaffner's in on it. Yeah. Uh, Jesus Christ. Watch out. Count it. Book it, bro. Huh. Well. Oh, it's a big plane. This thing has lots of seats. <laughs> That's what you say every time you board a plane. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big plane. It has lots of seats. Yeah, Kyle, it does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a big-ass plane. It was a 727, I think. It's your big boy. It's not the biggest, but it's a, it's a big one. A couple other people. William Gossett, if you guys want to look him up. He was a suspect. Richard Lepsey. I think William Gossett is the one. I can't remember his story, but um, his he, this William Gossett character, I believe, he's the one that uh, looked very similar to the composite drawing. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm reading about this. <coughs> Well, and to be honest with you, I never, yeah, I never, I mean, I'm the one that chose to do this, but I never understood why this was such a, you know, I mean, it's an intriguing story, but like. Yeah, it's a guy eh, got away with it. They yeah, I guess. And got yeah, away with. I guess that's the appeal of the stories. Yeah, he got away with it. Yeah, this guy. So the, they think. Nobody's bringing up the crew. There's been no, no obvious. I've read nothing about the crew being 
That's but it. there's been no obvious shutdown of the crew. Like, of course, it's not them because of this. Yeah. Unless it's out there, and I, you know, I'm, I haven't looked for it. All right. Well, let's. I, I'm still, still solid. Hmm. I think it's Kenneth Christensen. All right. Yeah, we all got. For I did think it might have been your dad. I don't know why you told me. I thought you told me your dad was on a cane. No. And then this guy, uh, some of these guys. Also, we sure as shit did not have two hundred thousand dollars <laughs> in the seventies. But your dad. I, I wouldn't even try to connect these dots at the time, but when I met him, I was like, man, this guy, this guy's got some secrets. He's got it. He, trust me, he's got secrets. You think but, he does? Oh, yeah. He was in the military, right? Was yeah. he in Vietnam? Yeah. Oh, Lord. For a while. For a while. For a little while. What uh, What branch was he in? Uh, he was an airline mechanic for the Army, I think. He was oh. working on their stuff. I don't know. I don't think it was Air Force though. Hmm. He's got he doesn't talk about it. Yeah. He's one of those guys he doesn't talk about it. Yeah, I could tell he's one of those guys that just doesn't say much and those are the guys that Yeah. There's a reason they don't say much. Exactly. So all these people I took the money. I'm D B Cooper. No. Hmm. I guess we'll never know. Uh what uh was your dad in the military? He was. He was in the Army. Yeah. He was in the Army for three years during Vietnam. Didn't see uh, combat. He was stationed in Germany. And not to <laughs> disrespect any military folks, but you would think my dad was John Rambo, the way he <laughs> tells, <laughs> recounts stories of his three years in the Army. No. In, no and, that, and that's great. But like, he, he's one of the guys just loved it. He loved everything. Oh, yeah. And I never understood. I never. I guess I never asked him. I never understood. I was like, well, if you loved so much, why didn't you just make a career out of it? You know, why not stay yeah. in? But yeah. oh yeah, he's he tells the same five stories <laughs> over and over and over. Were they? Uh, but uh, it's just. But I yeah, get it. My dad did not uh, did not like it. No, he wasn't a fan. So he was stationed in Vietnam or just during? <laughs> he was in the Philippines, in the Philippines. Where, like the air base was. Mm. You know where he went to, to boot camp? I don't. Again, like I said, he's a tight-lipped dude. I know when he finished, he was in Sacramento. I know he's in Sacramento. He was in Alaska. I don't know Sacramento, but up north, because I remember he said when he finished, he came down to L.A. and drove a motorcycle back Route 66, because oh. Route 66 starts at Santa Monica Pier and yeah. ends in Chicago. Yeah. So he rode back on Route 66 on a motorcycle. I don't know much else. Huh. Yeah, he didn't talk about much else. My dad was in boot camp the same time, not at the same place, but the same time Elvis Presley was in the Army. Oh, really? And I think my dad knew some guys that were in uh, boot camp with him, with Elvis. Stationed with uh, – where did El- Elvis was in Germany? That's right. Yeah. I think so. I think he was in Germany. They were keeping Elvis safe. My dad was in Germany. This is a cool story. My dad, my dad saw the Beatles in Hamburg, Germany, before they were famous. Just oh, that was like where they—that's kind of like where they cut their teeth, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were like the house band doing like you know three sets a night, seven nights a week, that kind of thing. But he remembers seeing the Beatles before they were the Beatles. Oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, there you go. Take that. Let me show him who's boss, buddy. This day, A&W's got some bite, dude. 
<clears throat> warm. I, I thought I was going to belch myself to death when I drank warm root beer. Oh, man. Yeah, I thought I was going to burp to death. <laughs> oh, well, should we... Uh... Should we jump out of this airplane and land it? Uh, no, let's try to jump out of this airplane and land it. Try to connect some dots there. And <laughs> didn't really work. Jesus Christ! <laughs> Should we parachute out of this? Sure, bitch? man. <laughs> All right. What you got to plug? When's this out? June fifth is today. <laughs> sure. That's how you say that. <laughs> On this, this day of fifth of June. <laughs> Where are you going to be? Uh, oh, you got your big. Uh, I'm in Boston tomorrow night. I'm oh, in Boston at the nice. Wilbur tomorrow night, and then the uh, Vermont Comedy Club in Burlington this weekend. Oh, right on, buddy. And then I ain't doing shit for a couple weeks. I'm uh, just starting this week my uh, kind of three or four week tour. You can catch me on the eighth uh, and ninth of June. I'll be in Lowell, Arkansas. Lowell at the Grove. Fifteenth, sixteenth, Springfield, Missouri at the Blue Room Comedy Club. Seventeenth, I'll be in St. Louis at Southtown Pub. 19th, Milwaukee at Underground Collaborative. And on the 20th, Chicago folks, I'll be at North Bar. Or at North Bar, they call it. They got the little at sign. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, also be in Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, Columbus, Cleveland, Wilmington, North Carolina. I'll tell those. Uh, I'll tell you about that next week. Yeah, dude. All right, man. Holler at your boys. Bye. The Boogie Monster. Bye.